excited for this morning. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Park Community Church, and it's such a joy to be together and to celebrate our second, our second birthday as a church. It was two years ago this weekend that we merged two churches together, and so we are celebrating our second birthday as a church, and even more importantly than that, we're celebrating the second birth that we have through Jesus Christ with five individuals who are going to be baptized in just a little bit here, and I'm, I'm so excited for that, so excited to have all of you here with us. I know we have a couple people visiting, some family members And uh, we're just glad that you're here to witness what God is doing. Um, Again, as Matt already said, we we want the kids to be a part of this. So I know that can create a little bit of chaos for parents, but don't worry about it. We are a family and we really want, we we prayed and thought through the logistics of that. You know, kids create a little bit of chaos and it's easier for parents. I know as a parent myself, my kids are here and whenever I try and preach with them in the service, they usually end up climbing over a pew and like walking towards me. And so um, if you feel uncomfortable, I'm more uncomfortable. So you can feel less comfortable less uncomfortable. Uh, but we really, we really thought and prayed through that, and we want them to experience the life of the church. So normally on Sunday mornings, we offer kids, kids uh, ministry where they're taught the gospel at an age-appropriate level, but we want them to see adults and in, in, in their Sunday school teachers professing their faith and being baptized. We want them to hear the word of the Lord, and they'll probably tune most of it out, but we do believe that this is a big step of their discipleship and them coming up to to know and love Jesus Christ. And so um, if you're a parent with kids, they are welcome here. If you do want to step out with them, feel free to do that. You can step out the doors. There's coffee here, coffee there, uh, but they are more than welcome, and we're glad to have them here with us. I'm going to ask you to stand and open up to Romans chapter 6, which if you don't have a Bible, you can use a pew Bible, and it's on page 942. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11, and so if you could follow along, I highly encourage you to grab a Bible and look at these words, the Word of God, for yourself. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Romans 6 verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his." We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would use these words to nourish our spirits and our souls today. I pray that this reality would would come true to us, that we would feel the effects of the new birth, the new life, the newness of life that we have in our union with you, that when we place our faith in you, Jesus Christ, we, we receive something. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive a new identity. We receive a new destination. We receive a new power. And I pray that we would experience and feel that today through your word, through the worship of what you've done, through the observ- uh, observation of these baptisms. Lord, we pray that you would 
encourage us as a body today. In your precious and holy name, we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. We're going to unpack this verse, just this passage, just a little bit in a couple minutes. But before we do, it's, it, let me just summarize baptism before we get into this. And, and I want to say that baptism at its root is a profoundly practical sign of a powerful theological reality. It's a profoundly practical sign of an of a incredibly powerful and that is namely our union with Christ. Union with Christ is one of the most important theological Christian doctrines that we have. Pastor, I don't use that term very often, and I think I'm going to intentionally start using it more often because it is, in fact, the most profound, the deepest foundational doctrine of the Christian life, that we are united with Christ. But before we do, I want to take just a couple minutes and explain to you what baptism is not, what we do not believe about baptism here at Park Community Church. A couple things, three things that I want to just touch on. Baptism is not done merely out of tradition. We don't believe that, that baptism, whether you're baptized as an infant or, a, or an adult or somewhere in between, that you are to do that just merely out of tradition, though many people approach it this way. Um, I, have, I have some friends in my life who recently we were talking about church and Christ and just life and faith, and they said, well, we, we're, we're CEOs, and I didn't know what that meant. I had this term in my mind, Christers, which meant Christmas and Easter. You go on Christmas and Easter. But this friend told me, they said, no, there's a better term for me. It's CEO, Christmas and Easter only. And so that was kind of this friend's approach to church attendance. They said that they would go to church on Christmas and Easter because those are the holidays that you should go and worship and, and pretend like you believe in something. And then actually they said, actually, you know what, we go for baptisms too. So when we have our kids, we'll go so that they can be baptized. But that was the only time that these particular friends of mine and Brittany's would attend church, Christmas, Easter, and baptisms. And so they, in fact, have two kids now, and they have baptized both of their kids. They have done it out of tradition. They've told us that. This is the tr tradition that they were grown up in, and so they decided to baptize their children out of tradition. That's what you do. And that is, in fact, how many people view baptism. But I want to encourage you this morning, as we look deeper into baptism, that that is not the way to observe baptism. Though it is tradition, we are in doing baptisms, we are keeping in tradition with the church, the, the church historically since the beginning of the church in the first century. It's not merely out of tradition. Okay, we don't want to throw tradition out the window. Some tradition is good, but we aren't doing baptisms just out of tradition and tradition's sake alone. Secondly, it's not done to please man or woman, or mankind. It's not done to please others. Sometimes, feel the pressure to, sometimes people feel the pressure to be baptized because they think their parents want them to be baptized, or their church leaders are emphasizing or pushing for or stressing baptism, or, or they may have different ideas of what baptism means, or they may, they may have been taught improperly about baptism. So they end up doing baptism to please people rather than out of obedience to God and out of, out of the new life that they have found in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know this morning that baptism is not done to please people. Now, it might please people, and that's fine if people are pleased with your decision to be baptized. That's a great thing, but that's not a motivation for baptism, to keep other people happy or to please them. And then lastly, baptism is not done as a means of salvation, meaning when you are baptized, there is no saving work that happens in baptism. 
There is no saving property of baptism. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by Jesus Christ and his work and what he's done on our behalf. Baptism is a work. It's an act. So it doesn't save us because it's something that we have to do ourselves. We have to be baptized or somebody has to baptize us. But the gospel says that Jesus is the only grounds for our salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so placing our faith in Jesus is what saves us. Following Jesus, believing in Jesus is what saves us. We're not saved by the act of baptism, though it is a good next step to take after we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what baptism is not. What is baptism then? A couple things. Baptism is done to imitate Jesus. It's done to imitate his life. Jesus himself was baptized. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that he himself goes to be baptized. He goes to John the Baptist and asks John to baptize him. This is in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to jot that down and look at it yourself later on. He goes to John the Baptist and, and he asks John to baptize him. And John doesn't want to do this because John believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one from God. How would you feel if Jesus came to you and said, would you baptize me? Like, who am I to baptize you, the Son of God? But yet Jesus says it's necessary for him to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so he is laying down a path for us to follow. When we are baptized, we are doing it as an imitation of Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, as an adult, made this conscious decision, I want to follow God the Father. I want to make this conscious decision to do all that he has commanded, and I want to take the step of baptism. Baptism, by the way, comes from the Greek word baptizo. means to submerge or to immerse. So Jesus, going to John the, ba John the Baptist, says, I want to be submerged in water as a sign that I'm dying to sin. Now, what do we know about Jesus' nature? What do we talk about? He, he's, he had no sin nature, right? He was a man just like us, he was 100% God, 100% man, but he never sinned. Yet he goes down into the water showing us what it looks like to die to sin and then he's raised up from the water showing us what it means to overcome sin and death in the grave and receive new life. So Jesus himself was baptized and so we, we do baptism. It's done to imitate Jesus' life. It's done to imitate what he did. Second thing is baptism is done in obedience to Jesus' command. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the great commission. What Jesus told his followers, his disciples, before he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. He says, Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What comes next? Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing, teach, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's a command of Jesus, and we want to be obedient to Jesus' commands. So we encourage you to be baptized. That's why we do this. It's also done in a response to Jesus' work. Again, we're not saved through baptism. We're not saved by works. We are saved by Jesus and what he has done in our lives, on our behalf, in our place, on the cross. And so baptism is a simple response to what Jesus has already accomplished for us on our behalf. 
We've been going through the book of Acts the last couple months, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter stands up and he gives this, this big, long sermon to thousands of people who are gathered. They're trying to figure out, okay, this Jesus guy came, he lived a great life, he healed people, he was crucified, there's reports that he, that he raised from the dead, and was he, in fact, the promised Messiah? So they're trying to figure this out. They're trying to, they, they're curious, they're seekers. Some of you may come today not knowing if you believe in Jesus, but you're seeking, you're thinking, you're curious. What is all this Jesus stuff about? They were like you if you're in that boat. And so they're listening to Peter preach a sermon, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 38, that they were cut to the heart. So they heard Peter proclaim that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. It cuts them to the heart. And they say, what shall we do? If that's true, and we believe it's true, they're cut to the heart, that's the sign of belief. Okay, what we heard is now there's something in our head and our heart that's connecting. We believe this is truth. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What should we do about that? Peter's response, repent, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, and be baptized. Identify with him. Receive the abundant life that he has for you. So it's done in response to Jesus' work. It's not done as a work. It's done in response to the work that Jesus has done. And then lastly, it's done as a sign of our union with Jesus. And this is where we're going to dig into Romans chapter 6 a little bit more. It's a sign of our union with Jesus. Again, the, the most profound theological truth about what it means to be saved is that we are united with Jesus Christ, that he is in us. First, uh, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's not merely this, this figure out there that we are trying to follow, but he is in us, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives with us. He dwells with us. He gives us a new name and a new nature, and that's what it means to be united to him. So a couple things from Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The first phrase I want to talk about there is into Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be saved. It means to be in Christ Jesus. It's like being on a team or part of a family or part of a club. You are in that. They, they, they recognize you. They welcome you. They identify with you. This is what it means to be saved. To receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it means that we are united to him and that we are in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, there's roughly, 600, uh, there's roughly 216 references to being in Jesus, in the Lord. 216 references in the New Testament about being in him. Now, we often refer to ourselves as Christians or a Christian movement, and Christian means to be a follower. There's only three examples, there's only three times that word is used in the New Testament, Christian. But 216 times we're told that we're in him. So let's think about the difference here, and it's not wrong to be a Christian. Christian means to be a follower, or a disciple means to be a follower. So those are two words that are also used. Christian three times, disciple many times in the Gospels, but, but fewer times after Acts. More so, it's you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're with him. He's in you, you're in him. There's this united union language that we have. And so to be a Christian or a disciple means to be a follower. 
the first reason we get baptized is to imitate Jesus. We do want to follow Jesus. We do want to walk down the path that, we, that he walked. We want to do what Jesus did as best we can in, our own, in his power in us. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to live our lives the way that he lived his life. But the profound truth of the Christian faith is that he's in us the hope of glory. He's not in front of us and we're behind him trying to follow him in our own power. Isn't that how we often think of the Christian life? We read the Gospels and we think, okay, here's what Jesus did. That's what I should do. Remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? All intended for us to try and act like Jesus. And that's good to act like Jesus. We are called to imitate Jesus. But where do we instantly go? We try and think, I need to better myself and be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? I need to do that. I need to resist this sin. I need to talk to that person. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to. But three references in the New Testament about being a Christian, being a follower. Yet 216 of being in him. This profound truth then is that he is in us. So when we are imitating Jesus, it's not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, trying hard to follow after him. It's that he lives and dwells and breathes within us. And he gives us the power to follow him and to live like him and to experience the abundant life that he has for us. That's a profound truth. I, I've spent most of my life, and, and even now, I think my automatic thought process is, I got to live better. I need to live more like Jesus. Rather than, he's in me. He's cleansed me. He's made me new. I am united with him. Look at verse 3 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He died for sin. Therefore, sin is dead in me. It no longer reigns or controls me. It no longer has control of my mortal body. Verse 4, for we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we are united to Christ. We have union with him. The second thing here is that we're, so specifically we're united in his death. That's what verse 3 tells us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this means we're immersed into Christ Jesus. So let's just pull mode of baptism out. I'm not here to convince you of a certain type of mode of baptism. But baptism means to be submerged, to be immersed, and to be identified. So if we are identified in Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. We're united with him. We're united in his death. Jesus died to sin, and in him we are dead to sin. Isn't that amazing? You still feel the effects of sin. You feel the temptation of sin. You feel the draw of sin. You feel the, the weight and the guilt and the shame of sin when you give in to it. But the theological truth is that we are dead to that, though we still chase it. Am I right? We still chase it sometimes. But that's not who we are. We are united in Christ, we have been given a new nature and that old life is no longer us. That's what baptism symbolizes. You are dead to sin and you now are alive with Christ. You are united into his death. And if you're united into his death, we're also united into his resurrection. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Praise the Lord. He was raised to new life. 
And the scripture tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. We've been united into his resurrection. Jesus was raised to new life. Likewise, we have a new resurrection power living within us. The profound theology of the Christian life isn't wanting to be raptured or taken out of this world someday in the future. Rather, it's that you've now been swept up into him. You've been raptured into Christ here and now. You're in him, he's in you. Though the surrounding circumstances look different than eternity, than than the heavenly eternity that we will experience where Revelation 21 tells us there will be no more tears or suffering or pain anymore, that day is coming, The, the relationship that we have with Christ here and now is very similar to what it will be then. Then he'll be with us physically present. We'll see him, we'll touch him. But the power that's at work in us now isn't different than the power that will be at work in us then. Then it will be done. We'll be glorified. We won't wrestle with sin any longer. But think about that. We've been raised to him, raised to life with him. The resurrection power is at work in us. It's alive in us. That's what it means to be united with Christ. And then lastly, we're united into his life. So we're united into his death, we're united into his resurrection, and we're united into his life. Look at verse 4 and then 11. We were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The life that the world has to offer you, the the life that sin has to offer you, with all of its guilt, with all of its shame, with all of its consequence, there's a better life offered you in Christ. And when we place our faith in Christ and we receive him and he's living in us, we start to reap the benefits and the reward of that here and now, a new life. And then look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're alive to God in Christ Jesus. God, the maker of heavens, the heavens and the earth, has welcomed us into a relationship with him through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he wraps us up into this family, onto this team, into this club. And he says, you are mine and you're going nowhere. You're united with me. We are now... I don't want to get my theology out of whack here. So there's the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's it. It's, it's closed. They're in relationship with one another. But he welcomes us into that. Not as the fourth member of the quad that would turn into heresy. He welcomes us into the Trinitarian relationship of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, come on in. Join the family reap the benefits, put on the jersey, you're on the team, and nothing can change that. Join the club, you have all the amenities, and you know the owner, and he's on your side. You have his favor. He looks at you with love, and you are in this relationship. Our Christian life is defined less by following and more by being in. And if we're in something, we're going to go where that thing goes. Am I right? I, was, I played baseball in high school, and because I was on the baseball team, when the baseball team hopped on a bus and went to a game, I was on a bus, and I went to that game. I didn't have to follow behind them, running, trying to keep up, wanting to be on the team. Same thing is true for us in Christ. He says, where we're going, you're coming. Who we are, you are. 
that the love and the power and the goodness that exists in the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is yours. You're on the team. You're in the family. You have full access in the club. This is what Jesus has done for us. When baptized, we're making a profoundly practical sign of a powerful theological reality. We are united to Christ Jesus now and forever. That's what your baptism symbolizes. You are united to Jesus Christ now and forever. Nothing can change that. Again, it doesn't save you. It, it shows those of us who are gathered here today and it encourages you and reminds you that you're in Christ and nothing can separate you from his love. Amen?